I'm Gentleman Josh Hill. I'm Aaron Jeffrey. I'm Jasmine Jasmus. I'm Mike Malak. I'm Rafael Stop. Tune into Don't Tap. Don't Tap. Don't Tap. Don't Tap Podcast. Don't Tap Podcast. John Jones. Follow me on Twitter. Hey, I'm UFC President Dana White, and you're in the ring with Callum McGregor. To me, the Lions are the number one rankings out there. Those guys are the ones who really do their homework. Man, I like saying the rankings are bullshit. <laughs> From Got a really high fight IQ. For this fight, I'm telling you, it's a flip of a coin. I levels to the shit. So many high level guys. So like the line is crazy. Oh, oh, there we go. No, we're good. See, he's a pro. Okay, don't tap podcast. We are back, and it is two of the three right now. And you know, you're getting at least two of us to come in with our looks. We have Nick, who is out this week. Nick is um gone down east to the east coast of Canada to Nova Scotia. So while he is there, we have Billy stepping up to as he usually does, anyways, with his spots. We're gonna dig in this weekend. We did miss you last week, brother, but man, I mean, that Whitaker thing sort of killed me. Like we hit a lot of spots, and, and even looking back, we've been hitting dogs. If you look between collectively between you, Nick, and I, if people are actually listening to the podcast regularly, they're, the dogs are the like all the plus money plays and shit like that. There's value like all day long, which I'm very happy with. Um, but man, that Whitaker spot that hurt my soul. I could have told you, man. DDP is real. DDP is real. I didn't have any plays on uh, DDP money line, but uh, I I had the under two and a half. But uh, man, that was he kept switching cool. stances on him, and he was hitting with big shots, and he was coming in southpaw, and then like sort of stepping through his shots, and I was like, How do you feel, about Throwing the uh, M-word at uh, DDP, man. <laughs> oh, man. I'm not touching that. You know I'm not touching that one, man. Every <laughs> podcast is, like, joking around with that thing. And you and I can definitely joke around with it, obviously, me being the white boy from Canada, you being the black man from Jersey. Um, Dude, but, no, I'm not, I don't know. I didn't think it had value. Like, like for me, if you're going to have shock value using a word like that, I didn't think it really had value. I think maybe even dropping it once maybe would have value. And I'm not saying it's okay. It's That's up to him to do. But I know his angle. I know what he was trying to do. And, I mean, the way he did it, I don't know. It just it kind of wasted the mic It just felt like a uh, – felt more WWE promotion than UFC. Like, yeah. very uh, gimmicky. International fight week. Everybody wants to have a storyline and, and whatever else. And there was a bunch of them, right? Like the Robbie Lawler one, he was even um, – amazing he he, he knocks him out and then like he's even able to retire with a highlight package how many people have been able to do that not too many and not too many there was a lot of uh, to be honest with you we'll get into that a little bit later but uh i I thought that was a scripted fight to be honest with you like it was one where i was like feeling nico price in the beginning of the week and then i watched the hall of fame one i was like oh shit nah this is gonna rob i didn't want to even think it i don't want to think it i don't want to even go down that rabbit hole uh, but I'm telling you, I did think it. That did run through my head. Last week, man, Jalen Turner, Yasmin Yerigli, two people I was pretty high on. Uh, man, uh, going to yeah. get back all straight. That's been him for me. So I think that's the move this week is uh, I want to start shying away from a part of this. I think there might be some good spots on spreads, man. You turn me on to the spreads, and spreads have been hitting. I mean, Pantoja's spread last week was possibly one of the best plays of the week. I know that obviously him as the dog is the best because he won, but I mean, one of the safest ones was he was going to win one of those rounds and uh, the value was there. I think he was at like minus 115, minus 120 at one point, you know, just a, a brilliant line. He did better actually. So, um, but let's jump into this week, man. I think there's some spots. I think you and I may be on a couple 
Um, I was even looking at Melisic, but I'm gonna leave that one right to you. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you. I know that's one that you want to talk about. So, um, without further ado, let's jump into home. Bueno Silva, um, take it away with your first spot of the night. Yeah, uh, first spot of the night. We talked about it a little bit before we hit the record button. Uh, Carl Deaton here. Oh yeah. Us. Uh, Alex yeah. Munoz. Uh, this is one of the spots I'm looking eye up on this weekend. Um, at first glance, thought of backing a fighter off of a two-year layoff as a red flag, but I believe uh, this is why we're getting the price tag that we're getting on Munoz here. I mean, he's a credential wrestling uh, coach at Team Alpha Male. I mean, from the Den Henderson tree, um, college wrestler, high school wrestler. I mean, at 33 years old, 0-2 in the promotion, and I feel like it's now or never for Munoz. His first two matchups in the UFC weren't really the most favorable matchups. I feel like it was two fighters that were definitely bigger in size. Uh, Pena had a huge length and reach advantage over him. Same thing with uh, Nazara Hasra, um, same as that kind of thing. I mean, he isn't really that high volume, but I mean, he just had too much length on him. Uh, that's not really the case with Carl Deaton here. I feel like he's going to be the more physically stout fighter. Uh, Deaton doesn't really have the the skills that I really like to back as an underdog. I feel like uh, the more thing about him is he's more of like a wild type of fighter, more of like an entertainer than an actual well-rounded fighter. But uh, he does have the experience advantage here in this one, but not the most impressive wins. I think his best wins are versus Justin James. I mean, he went one and four in the UFC and uh, regional scene vet. Uh, Nathan Williams, uh, he's a pretty decent prospect. Um, Deaton will have a sizable grappling advantage, though. It's the spotty takedown defense of Carl Deaton. Um, I think he allows opponents to get towards his back, and it's hard to find ways for him to win this fight. Um, everything points to Munoz coming back 100% healthy versus an opponent that doesn't really, uh, I think, have the capabilities to expose the cage rust here. So I'm looking at Munoz on the money line this weekend. Yeah, and I'm uh, right with you on this one. This was actually my second play on the card, and um, I will enlighten you to some of the stuff that we you'll hear later in the podcast. Actually, we do have um, Alexander Munoz, um, the interview we talked and, and dug into his rehab. And so actually the one thing, I don't know if you know, his wife is actually a PT, so she does his physical therapy. He did a, his, the first initial physical therapy that he had and then help assist in this one. And so he is somebody literally in his corner that's fully invested in his recovery. He's 33 years old at peak, you know, at that, at that age, as a man, that's when you're developing peak muscles. Still, you have good strength, and you, you sort of hit that point as a man. And that right now, for him to be able to actually work on strength at that time, is sort of crucial. Um, so I think he's going to bounce back really, really, really solidly from this one. Um, I'm right with you on this one. If you actually watch this fight against Pena, I think he beats Pena in that fight. I think that what the judges looked at is what damage was in that fight. I think that uh, – I think with some of the takedowns, with what what he did against him, I just think he did enough, and I think that he landed uh, some big shots. But he was he even talked about in the Hasbras fight that how he was sort of missing a couple to get in to hit land one big one, and you know you, you got to knock on the door. So the game plan is always to actually he's probably going to miss the first two, and that is with the, a lot of team alpha male guys are they're, they're a little bit smaller than some of their opponents. They got to really work their way in and, and crash the pocket and actually you know at least throw something up as you're, as you're, you don't want to be throwing one punch combinations. And he does throw those two, three punch combinations that you like. Um, the one thing you look at too is your southpaw. So with Deaton, Deaton a little bit upright, um, that southpaw kick, in, and we talked about this in the, the interview as well too, it's there all day long. And even if Deaton were to look to try to take him down to the ground, he's, he's all about it. He's, he's okay with going down to the ground. He wants you to come, you want to take his leg, go ahead. He's going to take your neck at the same point. 
or he'll take your back or he'll keep it standing. And he said, you know, he's talked about his striking and how it's come along. You know, he's been working on it drastically and it already looked good. Like he, he was actually changing levels pretty well. Um, if you watch his boxing against Pe the, uh, Pena in the Pena fight um, and able to mix it up, work the body, work the head, a little bit more volume. If you can get more volume going, he said he's been able to weaponize his cardio. That is a problem. I think he's going to be able to put it all together. And I think he does here. I think this is a spot, you know, he and I were talking, I think this is, is somewhere, something where a lot of people are going to be surprised because they're like, where, it, where does this come from? Um, but a lot of people close to him are going to know that it was, it was coming, you know, he's been working his ass off. And um, Mike Malott actually, even when they talk about this matchup coming in, a lot of called him and said, Hey, this is a good matchup for you. This is an advantageous situation for you in, in every spot. And I, I trust that strategy. Um, a lot actually did get to the interview too. So thank you to him. So um, I'm right with you on that fight. Um, I'll be looking at the takedown prop as well too. I think we got in around minus 140. I should have checked the lines that were put out on Sunday, but um, minus 145 in, in and around there. Um, but either way, it's still at minus 150. And depending on where these lines go, I, I don't know how people are going to view weigh-ins and whatever else. You may get a little bit of a better line. So I would bet um, it up to minus 200. What's that? I would bet it up to minus 200. Fair. Okay. So that shows you uh, the value that you've seen it. So the one thing that he did sort of say is he wants to, because I said, look, I said, I don't want you to be polite. I get, I said, I get enough politeness when I hear him a lot talk about his fights. He sort of, he sort of backhand, like throws these daggers out as a, at his opponents. And I said, give it to me. Tell me what you're going to do. He goes, I'm going to chop him up. He goes, I'm going to get in close and I'm going to land big elbows. Everything that I land is going to hurt him. He goes, I'm taking him down. I'm going to drown him and I'm going to break his will. So these are words out of his mouth. I'm like, I like that. I like third round yeah, decision. Like that sounds, I was like, third round decision sounds good to me. Um, and obviously, this is all talk, but I like that mentality. I like that he's there in that place coming off of, yes, two losses and uh, ACL. So, um, but I'm with it, man. I think he's he's a good line on this. So we're on the same page and I will, um, I'll throw a line out there right now. We'll look at Norma Dumont. I, I have to go to the well on this. And I think a lot of people are looking to fade her with Chandler. And I sort of get how there's some love coming in. But, you know, Chandler has volume. She bullies people. I don't think she's going to bully Big Norm. And that, that's the difference in this fight right here. And that's how I'm lining it up right now. I don't see her bullying Big Norm. Not in the stand-up. Not trying to take her down to the ground. Big Norm's got that base. And we've been back in that for a long time. She does, It's not easy to take down. When she's, when she's actually up against the cage and she sprawls out, it's very, very hard for you to try to actually take that woman down. Then from there, on the feet, you, you can't really bully her because when she lands, she lands with power. And she'll push you back. She has great boxing as well, too. And it's only getting better with every camp. And what I've noticed in her Instagram the past, say, year is her conditioning and her training. It's been stepped up drastically. Um, so Big Norm all day long on this. And you can actually get Big Norm right now. And I just got to stop saying Big Norm. Norma Dumont, <laughs> minus 138. Um, at that 365. So that, that's what I just saw. And uh, it was on Best Fight Odds. It may have changed now, but minus 138, that was the one line that's still out there at 365, which is a little bit off from almost all the other lines. So if you can get that right now, get it. If it's not out, I'm still in on an anywhere under minus 150. I'm good with, with uh, Norma Dumont. And I think that there's going to be love coming in on Chandler and I'm, I'm with it because she does have volume. She's, she's, you know, that killer, she's going to come in, but I think it's going to be, you know, I want to see what she looks like after she's taken a couple shots, after she's tried to shoot, shoot a takedown and it's not really working. Maybe we get a better line in live on, on Norma because there is a little bit of a pressure from Chandler and she gets a little bit of minutes, but um, yeah, Norma Dumont all day long. And she's been a, she's, she's pretty much a cash cow in this situation. So 
I'm good with the ROI and Norman Dumont. Yeah, don't blame me. I mean, uh, I feel like that's the theme of this card for me specifically this week. A lot of uh, women fighters that I'm fans of, and I don't want to know. I don't want to fall into the sim because I am a big, big Norm fan. I will say though, I think Chandler is a little bit more dangerous fighter. But I think the main question I really want to research throughout the week is, uh, what are you doing with the 145 division without Amanda Nunes in there? anymore i mean this is a 145 fight chandler seems a little bit new to towards the promotion and big norm has been fighting at 145 for how long i mean for like two three years since she can't make the weight of 135 so kind of really want to figure out if, what are they doing with the 145 division uh often in the mma betting community we joke around about how the 145 division isn't a division but is it really a division because this could potentially be a title shot fight Pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been thinking about that. Like, Norma Dumont, like, potentially in a, a talk for a belt, depending on how this all shakes up with everything, right? So, yeah, I mean, we're trying to promote Brazil. I mean, look at Pantoja, uh, Brazilian, uh, since Amanda Nunes retired, didn't have a Brazilian champion in the UFC until last week. For sure. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad you sort of see it. I think Norman Dumont is, is someone that the promotion does love. I know you like a little bit of narrative stuff, and I think that is someone that the promotion does love. Although there's always the Diaz mystique coming from, you know, that that camp with, you know, with Chandler. I just don't really – I don't see her winning this one. I think it's going to be – her over-aggressiveness is going to be used against her. And once she doesn't really get to bully her way in, that's going to be a problem. So what's your, your uh, next spot on the card? Yeah, next spot on the card here, Tucker Lutz versus Melsic Bags of Ryan. Uh, Tucker Lutz is just an average fighter to me, to be honest. He doesn't really specialize in one category. He looks the best when he's able to get his offensive wrestling going with his striking. Uh, but he's coming from the Maryland Ground Control Academy. I question how effective that is at a higher level of competition on a two-fight losing streak. Uh, this is the last fight of his contract. Um, with the Dana White contender series on the horizon, this is definitely a winner go home fight for both fighters here. Um, it definitely feels like the UFC is trying to get Melsic back in the win column, though. While Melsic's a former K1 kickboxer world champion uh, who came over to the MMA world in 2014, his wrestling is his biggest weakness, but his takedown defense has definitely improved as he's maturing a little bit. Spent a lot of time at AKA for this camp. His last fight versus Kuliabal displayed a lot of striking and ability to control distance and range, and then. Uh, he just ended up slipping up on a banana peel and ended up getting submitted in that one. A lot of grapplers like to get inside the clinch with Melsic, and I think that's what Tucker Lutz is going to do, but that's the story of their takedown process. But Melsic's clinch work is so good. Uh, that's where he creates a lot of the damage in his fights when wrestlers try to shoot in. Um, this fight reminds me a lot of his contender series bout versus Dennis Bazooka. Uh, while I will say Dennis Bazooka has gotten a lot better since that performance, his wrestling and power in the strikes, it was a stiff test, which is very similar to how Tucker Lutz fights. Um, it was the first time Melsic went to the decision in his career, and I can see this fight playing out two ways. Melsic goes in here early, gets finished towards the end of round one, beginning of round two. And if he isn't able to get Lutz out of there, he might be slowing down and then make this fight a little bit closer to the scorecards and winning you name decision. He's the rightful favor in this spot. Um, I see a little bit of line movement coming in on Tucker Lutz, but not really too worried about that. Hey, I might even wait till later in the week and let all the people take that uh, Tucker Lutz love. But um. He's also in the last fight of his contract, too, Melsic Bags Ryan. So I expect him to try to get a spectacular KO like he started off his UFC run um, via strikes combo or a head kick to set up the strike combo. Um, I definitely could see the under two and a half in this one, but not too confident in that. I mean, 
You saw how Jalen Turner and Dan Hooker turned out last week. That under two and a half. I'm about to just stop playing under two and a half. Those are one of those crazy things, though, man. That that's, yeah. that's that, those make you get cold feet on the totals. And uh, I, I made the Terminator line it up. I think Mousy could win by KO or decision unanim. Well, yeah, I mean, with this fight, it's really if you you're on the luck side of things, it's like it's it's a tough out, man. It's like what, what's he going to do exactly? Does he get Bagdasarian down for a length of time? Does he finish him on the ground? Because if he doesn't, and this plays out on the feet, which is where I think it does most of the time, and a little bit on the cage, I mean, this is this is not even close. And uh, so I'm with Melsic uh, all day long on this one. I, I fully back you on this one, and I think that he probably does get him out of there. I think so, um, I'm with you on the Bagdasarian, and I almost wanted to pull the trigger on that one. I knew you were sort of looking at that one too, so I thought maybe we could diversify it a little bit and bring some different looks to the table. So uh, definitely a solid spot this week. And what's the line currently for Melsic? I think around minus 175. I mean, one of the ideas I was thinking about is the Melsic, Bagdasarian, Munoz, two-leg parlay, just call it a week. Oh man, parlays, parlays, straight bet. Yeah, no man, Whitaker, it's hurting my soul. <laughs> I mean, last week after last week, though, I feel like uh, one of the best bosses of UFC gamblers after those big ass uh, pay per view cards. Um, a lot of the public feels like they have a grasp on the UFC, and I think we're going to see a lot of people bet underdogs this week. But I mean, a lot of these favorites. I had a tough time finding underdogs, man. Yeah, same. Like I was trying to really find one. I'm like, you know what? Maybe he'll just bring one to the table. And that's where I was. Like I, I was. I'll tell you right now. So we'll j- jump into the next one. Um, I was first looking at an underdog spot, and then thinking maybe does he win a round? Because I'm looking at the spreads and, and thinking what we could talk about for spreads. Uh, I was looking at Austin Lingo, but I'm not anymore because I think that you know I'm I'm pretty high on Costa. I was high on Costa in his debut. It didn't quite play out the way um, that he wanted to. I, I know. Uh, let me just open this up quickly here. But um. So in looking at this, I, I really think that with Lingo, I, I think he's there to be taken down. And although the, the like his takedown defense is what I think it's sitting at seventy eight percent. So his takedown defense is sitting at seventy eight percent. But it's like I don't know, man. Because if you look, if you want to look back, Landwehr only needed once, and he took him yeah. down and submitted him. Kilburn took him down once. He took Kilburn down once. Uh, Zalal took him down six times, and yeah, he yeah. didn't finish him, but he took him down six times. And I think the one thing about Melky, you know, with this guy, he scrambles. He gets those ugly jujitsu scrambles and takes you down, takes your back. He can take your leg really quick. He's really, really crafty. And I, I don't know if Lingo's crafty enough on the feet and crafty enough in those clinches and cage work to really work um, him off of him. I think that Costa's going to eventually get to him. I think he's going to submit him. I think he might be a little bit later than Landwehr got him, but I think it'll probably be in the third round um, that he's probably going to submit him. I'm not going to go all the way down that rabbit hole and look at the third round prop because I last fucking Whitaker. Um, I'll be saying that all day long. Um, but I think that uh, I like him by submission. And if you look at inside the distance just for that alone, um, for that fight, it's minus 110. What's the subline on Costa? That, that we don't have out yet, so that'll be something that we'll have for a watch. So as soon as that comes out, take um, a look at the line and see if there's value on it. Well, you may you may find it. Nah, yeah, let me just check that on my mind. And I wasn't planning on doing this because he sort of, in his last fight um, when he fought uh, Moises, he sort of got outgrappled and outworked. And, and I mean, that guy's so high level. Um, but in this one, I just think that he's going to be able to do whatever the hell he wants to do. He's really crafty on the feet, too. Um, so maybe we don't want to get too cute because everybody that we thought was going to submit everybody last week ended up knocking people out. Um, I know no, people, got no, and, uh, yeah, people got killed in a lot of sub props last week, so maybe inside the distance is the better play. 
than just going for the sub because he is crafty on the feet as well too. We're talking about Costa, so but I could see a club in sub situation because as soon as he drops, if he were to ever drop Lingo, who's a very tough canned head, like the guy's got a stone head. Um, if he were to drop to the ground, you're going to see he goes to get up and a neck's going to be taken or an arm's going to be taken or something. So, uh, Costa by subs plus 375. Yeah, I like that, man. I like the, the, the sub prop, but even inside the distance, if there's value there, um, maybe uh, plus 200, maybe plus uh, worst ITD fighter win plus 200. Yeah, I like it. Plus 200 inside the distance. I think that's going to be one of my plays for the week. It could get better, but I don't really care. I think there's value right there at plus 200. Um, so, yeah, man, I think that's going to be the play. I just think that with those takedowns, I think, you know, cost is maybe a little bit undervalued in this situation. This guy's a killer. On the regional scene, he's he like a champion. Just he's an absolute killer. He's a warrior. He just went up against, you know, with Moises, he's just a vet. He's just a guy that knows how to win. Um, in every grappling exchange, even on the feet, he's getting better every fight. So, um yeah, man, I'm with Costa on distance at the distance. I like that play at plus 200. Um, what would be your third play of the night? Uh, my third play of the night here, I'm going to go to the co-main event. Uh, this is just a price spot for me. Not really a value boy, but um, I become a value boy once we start talking about a couple of guys that I've cashed on some value props with in the past. And uh, I like Albert Durev. He keeps coming in under value in these fights. Uh, the Dagestanian ever since the Buckley fight. Um, he's been devalued in the betting markets. I was able to grab Dariah the win by decision against Chitty Bang Bang in his last fight at plus 500, which is ridiculous. I thought that was his main path to victory would be by decision. But that's just somewhere we're out there. I'm looking here against this matchup here versus Junior Park. Um, Park is well-rounded, but he often leads towards his wrestling to get his game going. But when he faces a person who is a better wrestler than him, uh, his striking isn't enough to get the job done versus Rodriguez and Hernandez, two credential wrestler BJJ artists. They were both able to get finishes on him. His last two opponents aren't really the highest level of competition. Shit, neither is Eric Anders, really. Uh, he's been priced at this big of a favorite because of the recency bias from the betting public. But Thrive is on the last five of his contract, so motivation is definitely going to be at the highest point this week. And um, I think he's more than live to get the finish here in the co-main event. Um, I definitely like to arrive on the money line and uh, thinking about playing him on the plus three and a half at uh, a little bit chalk price tag. See, I had faded him initially in the, the initial play, and I, I think I still stick maybe on the side of Iron Tur Turtle, but I do see what you're saying, seeing the value. But I think where the uh, good value is, and this is coming straight from you, is the spread on this is actually pretty solid value as well too because I think he's going to be undervalued all the way to – um, to the weigh-ins and then all the way to when it, the line closes. Um, him at plus money, because um, if he gets the finish, you win. Um, what, what is that? What do you think that's going to probably sit at? Do you think you get plus money out of the line or what? Yes, 170 currently right now. In the ah, okay, yeah. So they're on it a little bit, but I mean, still, I like that line. I think that, uh, I mean, look at his last fight. I'll be honest. I I, I was on the Anjikwani side. I think Anjikwani beat him. That was that's my opinion on that one. I mean, if you were on the derived side, then you think Duraev beat him, and that's sort of how everybody looks at it. But in that, it was a split decision, and I, you know, it, it does get a little bit greasy in some of his fights, and it has been. Although it can be, you know, I, I like it. I think that uh, I may tail, but tail in a way that I'll go with the spread. Um, although I do have money line for the Iron Turtle, um, I think at minus one fifty that I put out on Sunday. So a little bit on the other end of this one, and I, if I would have made it an official play on the podcast plays. Um, like when we go with the three spots anyways. Um, yeah, man, I'm with you. So we'll go with the spreads. And then let's take a look at any other spreads that you see. What are some other spreads that you see on 
Spreads are uh, a little bit iffy this week because some of these money line spots, you kind of just want to take the straight money line shot yeah. over the actual like underdog spot. But um, one potential spread that I was looking at here was the main event: Holly Home versus Myra Bueno Silva. Um, I'm a big preacher daughter fan. Um, I'm a big Holly Holm fan. What can I say? Uh, I, it is what it is. I've won money with her. I've lost money with her. And of recent, she's been kind of slowing down, and it's not the same Holly Holm. Like, when you see the highlights for the main event, you're going to see a lot of striking and head kicks and shit like that. Of recent, it's a lot of, like, cage pushing people up against the fence and, like, not really taking them down, but taking them down every really? Around, like, and is she starting to decline in uh, talent? Remember, we had this talk last time, though. We did have this talk, and I was on the takedowns. And it's like, although it's, I think as she get old, gets older, I think she just doesn't want to get punched in the face anymore. I think that's honestly what it, she doesn't want to engage in that. And it seems that way. She wants to go to the grappling realm. And if it works, man, she's still active enough with her strikes. I know it's not as pretty, but with some takedowns, she gets a couple of takedowns. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with it. I'm looking at the money line plays earlier as well, too, but no, nah, I'm looking at the totals in this one. I mean, if the fight's lined to go to distance at minus 165, over four and a half is minus 185. Um, we we would probably say more times than not, this is going to hit the judges' scorecards, and this is hitting the judges' scorecards women's MMA. And you're telling me Myra Bueno Sofa's plus five and a half at minus 165. I don't give a fuck about the money line. I mean, I think if there's a finish in this fight, it's probably from the Bueno Silver side from a submission. Yep. I wouldn't doubt her submitting Holly Holm off of her back or something like that. So um, I like Silva here in this spot. Um, Silva to win inside a distance and judge a scorecards, no action is minus 200. So I think the spread value of the minus 165, they're basically saying if there's a finish in this fight, it will be from the Silva side. And if there's no finish, then this shit's going to the judge's scorecards. So. I mean, no, that's a, I think that's a brilliant way to play it because if it goes to the judges' scorecards, it could be greasy. And if it is a finish, it could be a sub on the ground. I don't see Holly. I mean, Holly's strong, so I'm, I'm curious to see how that looks. When they engage on the ground and grapple, because Bueno Silva is a high-level jiu-jitsu practitioner, so I, I want to see how that plays. Is it going to be stronger wrestling on top that, that is able to get out of situations, or does she get her arm taken? And, and I could see that, too. I mean, so, Silva by sub is... Uh... Plus two seventy five, and that's her most likely. But man, uh, I like that spread play. I think that's a yeah, no, real that's wise way to play it. Out of the three method of victories, two seventy five for the sub, plus three fifty for decision, fourteen to one for the KO. So I mean, the bookies are saying she's going, she's more than live for the submission here. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think that's a, a good way to play it. So I'm with you. I think that's a good value there, one hundred percent. So. Um, any of the spots, obviously, everybody's going to be on the Jack Della Maddalena, and I don't know, trying to fish on that is going to be like trying to fish on the Bo Nickel one, and, and you know, if you didn't pick Bo Nickel round one and stay safe or whatever it was that you went with, man, I think I think that's another reason why we might not see Nick here this week. I, I love you, Nick, but I don't think it's just because you're packing. I think it's, he was on a couple sub props, and the sub props ended in KOs, so. Yeah, that's exactly how it goes, man. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Um, one spot that I'm looking at catching a little bit of steam here is uh, Aline Perez versus Ashley Evan Smith. Um, just seems like two fighters going in two different directions in life. Uh, one is kind of like a meme in the UFC, and then the other one is a bad meme in the UFC. So uh, 
one fighter might be getting their exit papers and the uh, other one might be, uh, you know, get a couple more fights under the promotion here. It seems like the promotion likes Aline Perez. They put her on a couple of big spots so far and uh, shake, shake some ass, got a couple of people touching, heads rolling. But uh, M. Smith, long layoff. They probably looked at her and was like, ah, oh, shit, she's still in the contract. I feel like that's the theme of this week. Uh, Dana White Contender Series is coming up at the end of the summer, so you're going to start seeing a lot of these Apex cards basically be uh, what we call pink slip fights in the uh, betting business. Um, a lot of fighters are on the RS fight of their contract, and if they're losing, they're gone. More people come in for Dana White Contender Series. Some Canadians are coming. Some Canadians <laughs> are motherfucking coming. We got some people coming, man, so. Um, congratulations to Series City. Um, been on the podcast. He's now cashed his Dana White Contender Series shot. The matchup looks pretty good for him too. So uh, I'm, I'm already looking at that, and I just think he's an absolute killer. Um, so we'll talk more about him uh, as well too, and you'll see more about him on the podcast. Um, but yeah, no, I think another spot actually I want to look at is even maybe live, potentially looking at second round finish. Uh, I'm, I like Nazem Zadikov in, this, in that fight against Terrence McKinney. I think that his fight IQ is there. Even listening to his coach talk a little bit, he's tight-lipped. But you listen to Ray, Ray's like, oh, he's, all I know is his fight IQ is there. He knows what to do against Terrence, more or less, and just left it there. And I, I think that um, you're going to probably see Nazem just sort of draw that cardio out of him and try to counter um, McKinney on the way in and just let him work. Let him work, even if it's for a round. Um, and then finish him in the second round, if not late in that first round. Hopefully we can get in live on a, a live value bet. Uh, maybe McKinney looks like he is the, the bulldozer. And hopefully that, uh, you know, the casinos or, or Vegas isn't too wise to the situation with McKinney. But we know he falls off a cliff, and I don't think that changes. I don't think you can get, you know, I just don't think that you make the, the grounds or the, the difference that he needs to make to really – Ever, ever make a difference at that level. He throws too much in his shot. You can fight for seven minutes and that's it. Yeah, it's it's just, I don't know what it is, but it's just, it's how he throws his shots and uh, just gasses him pretty hard. So, um, and Sadakov, I think that uh, with Nazem, he's going to be the, one of the, the guys you'll see in the division in the future. So I think that, uh, you know, potentially a second round finish, but live, I, I like that as a look too. So something to look at. Yeah, uh, you could probably go into this like uh, you bet the second round finish at plus 600 or something like that because that's the line on it. Or no, nah, it's by knockout in the second round. Second round's plus 450. And, I like that. Uh, after the first round, tried to double up on it. And that's probably going to be one that I normally would have dropped a little bit later in the week that I add onto the card. Um, but now that I'm already looking at it, the line's already out. It's already something that you're not really – I'm not getting too I, – I sort of like getting pushed back somewhat, but I think we're pretty much on the same page with most things this week. So even with us sort of – I'm sort of on the Holly Holmes side of things, but I think the the value on that that spread, I, I can't argue with you, and I think the finish in that, in that main event only comes from one side. I don't see Holly finishing her, so. Yeah. She doesn't like, she doesn't like the strike, so. It, although she is a, an amazing high-level kickboxer, she doesn't seem to want to do it anymore, so. Yeah, for such a low-level card of uh, not a lot of brand names, I'm confident in my spots is that Melsic line is still coming down. Now I'm seeing minus 145, uh, eyeing that one up. Looking at uh, Munoz, that's like minus 160. Um, another spot was the Albert Dariev, that's at plus money. 
Um, there's a lot of good spots on the card this weekend. Uh, we got not too big of a favorites, but I think a couple favorites roll this weekend, and we're not paying too juicy of a price tag for him. Um, wouldn't ask what is your opinion on the Tyson Ammon as that Makrasam fight, because um, that's probably going to be a very popular parlay fight. Him and uh, Jack Diller are probably two pop- the two most popular parlay pieces. I, I think that a lot of people are fading Tyson Nam, um, and I think it might be a mistake. Um, I think you, people, a lot of people might actually be surprised. I think you may end up edging um, what could be a decision. And what's the line currently sitting at right now? It's not um, a fight I look too, too rapidly into, but that was my first instinct looking at that fight. Minus 415 for the debutante here. Fight not to go to distance is minus 170. Spreads for this fight is uh, Tyson Nam plus three and a half at plus 160. I don't know, man. I just think that it's it, it, the lines are like drastically too wide, and I think it gets surprised people. So I'm just not, it's something that I wanted to stay off right away. Um, Same. but I mean, that spread obviously, I don't know, man. It, uh, for me, it's something I haven't looked at too, um, in depth it's into. So to go on my instinct of saying Nam could be a problem isn't really a, a value in, situ- in that situation. So if you see value in that plus 160, and if you're saying that you see value in it, that's great, but I'm not going to, I'm going to plead ignorance and not be an asshole and, and say that I, I really dug into that fight too much, but it just, that was my first instinct. I felt like the, the line was a little bit too wide for me. Yeah. I, I talked about it. I, I want to stay off for parlays and that seems like one of the uh, parlay pieces. Hey, Evan Elder, Jack Della. Um, shocked to see Jack Della at minus 600 over uh, Basel Hafez. Uh, he comes over from the PA regional scene, CFFC and stuff like that. Um, really credentialed jiu-jitsu artist. Uh, not the most craziest skilled guy ever, but, I mean, you know how the BJJ artist guy goes. He's like the meat and potato BJJ guy. Uh, I actually yeah, think with Jack, it's just like the black belt becomes the, the blue belt really quick. I believe he used to be uh, Joey Pfeiffer's teammate before Joey Pfeiffer went to the Gracie Martinez gym. Um, I believe that was his training partner was Basil Hafez. But then he got hurt or something like that, and Joey Body Bags left. But um, I got to catch up on where he's been at in the last two to three years because I haven't watched him fight in a couple of years. But okay, I think we did find a decent amount of spots. I know that we're trying to stay away from parlays. I know that you sort of threw one out there. What was the parlay that you threw the two beasts out there? Um, Melsic Bagzerain and um, Alexander Munoz. I'm with that. I'm down with that. You can throw that out as a play. Um, also, I think uh, Munoz, when it does come out, look for the takedown prop. If there is value enough on, you know, the, uh, you're probably not going to get value on one takedown. But two takedowns, you may get value on. And I I mean, I, I think he's going to end up, it's going to be a rinse and repeat a couple of times before he's able to drown this man if he does take him inside the distance. Um, if not, it's going to be a decision where he's, you know, just landed big shots and uh, rinse and repeat on the takedowns and really just drains Deaton's, uh, you know, gas tank and soul. So, what about all right. Him? And without further ado, um, what do you say? Decision plus 150, or you think it's going to be a finish? I, I'm going to like the third round decision prop because it, my, I'm leaning towards a decision where he sort of dominates him. But at the same time, if you watch Deaton when he gets hit, um, there's times where you see him sort of get rocked and he does come in wide with his, with his hooks. We were talking about that in the interview as well, too. And um, so, yeah, if, if he lands, Munoz lands on him, 
he could potentially get a club in some situation. That could happen. I think he's going to probably want to drag him a little bit later. Um, I think for him, it serves him better to come back after that layoff if he can try to drag this into later rounds and check off some of those boxes for himself and, you know, make sure that he's all good and, and you know, the engine's running right and everything's on, you know, on point the way it's supposed to be. So without further ado, we will actually transition into the interview with Alexander Munoz. Um, we were able to talk to him and really understand, you know, what his trials and tribulations were coming back from the ACL. Um, you know, although two losses, he's in a good mindset, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, coming up to the UFC with all the pressure. He has two losses. The last one, Pena, I mean, arguably that he lost that fight. Um, but breaking down really, you know, his leaps and bounds where, you know, his mental status has been, his physicality, um, his technique and everything else, and all the coaches that he has in his corner. And, uh, yeah, just got some insight into that. So we'll jump right over to that. Alexander Munoz. I like this matchup. I spoke with Sean, and he gave me kind of a list of names. And um, I was able to talk to my buddy, Mike Malat, which I know that you've interviewed and spoke with. Um, and Mike also liked this matchup for me. And he was honestly the first one that was like, jump on that fight. Take that fight. That's a great one for you. Um, and his words, you know, I think, think that we're better everywhere we're going to be able we're going to be lighter on our feet we're going to be able to pick our shots from the outside we're going to be able to crash in and close that distance when we want um whether it's striking or wrestling um i think i have the advantage the ball's in my court and i've also made a ton of improvements the last few fights that i've had have been against southpaws um and awkward fights too guys that are like six three really long southpaw versus southpaw type deals and it's always ugly when you're fighting southpaws, um, which is cool. It, it taught me how to fight southpaws, and now I, I know how to fight them. And I got to deal with some of the what, the frustrations that I've been given to other people being a southpaw myself. Um, but and, I, and now I'm fighting the orthodox fighter now. I mean, it does present some openings for you, especially with his style. He is a little bit wild coming into the pocket. He does sort of swing and leave some openings. You can see it on the feet with the, the boxing. He leaves openings. You have more straight shots. He's a little more wild with his hooks. And then just the way that he's a little bit more upright, he just leaves himself open. His hips are there to be taken. I know he has a little bit of wrestling himself, but um, even that southpaw, you know, the kick to the body's there all day long. You could see it. Um, and for you, if he goes to grab your leg, he gets a guillotine or potentially a scramble and gets taken, his back taken. That's the way I'm seeing it. So are these things that you're looking at with the matchup? You're just sort of seeing, you sort of look at piece by piece. I mean, Mike Malott is, is definitely someone who's just – He's a, a chess master. He wants to break everything down meticulously. Um, if he sees something in the matchup, that's sort of what I'm seeing. There's a lot of openings for you right. to sort of do what you need to do and, and go in there and implement a wrestling game plan or mix up that boxing. Absolutely. And it's all going to be there. Um, and there's no need to rush anything. There's no need to force anything. It's about being patient and um, making sure that I'm taking my time and I'm capitalizing when the moment's there and and like i said not rushing um we've made a ton of improvements since the last time that i fought and looking forward to it yeah th thank you and i feel like um i've gained a lot of strength i've weaponized my cardio my cardio feels fucking it's like better than it's ever felt i feel like i can go for days um i i've cleaned up my technique a lot i've sharpened up my striking my wrestling as well. I've, I feel like I've, I've really been grinding in that wrestling mind state and spending a lot of time in the grappling. So yeah, if, if I throw a kick or if he goes for a takedown, then it's kind of just like inviting him into my world and allowing me to let, let those things go and be able to wrestle and turn it into a wrestling match or keep it a striking match with that, which I love too. So, 
Um, this is a fight that I'm, I'm very comfortable and confident going into, and I, I feel really relaxed in this fight camp and in a good headspace. And I feel like I was allowed the time to recover from my, from the injuries that I had and, um, come back a more complete fighter than I've ever been. And it's important that you talk about that because we can talk about how the body heals up, but these are all things that are all like, we don't know, you know that, you know how like the leaps and bounds that you've gained in, in rehab and then, you know, strengthening the body up again and fortifying it. Um, for you though, the mental side of that, you know, you come into the UFC, I know that, you know, the pressure's on and the, the, the two fights don't go the way that you want. The second fight, like I said, regardless of if a lot of people feel like you won that fight, it doesn't go your way. Then the injury, you get the ACL reoccurring. Talk about the mental side of things, because this is, I think, where it's so important. This is the part of talking to fighters that I love to hear. I love to hear about your determination. I love to hear about what you what you say to yourself in the morning when you're like, all right, two losses. I got a surgery, but I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with this. You know, people believe me. Talk to me about that process, that mental process. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of, you know, picking yourself back up and, and not being down too much. Something that I, I've, I was lucky to have Kenny Monday, which anybody – who knows anything about wrestling knows about Kenny Monday. He's in my opinion, the best to ever do it. He was my coach in high school. He was my coach in college. Whenever I started um, fighting, he took the coaching job at team takedown, which is Johnny Hendricks old team. And then he's been in my corner for most, all of my fights. And um, one of my first days sparring, I got the shit kicked out of me, honestly. And I think I landed like one good punch the entire time. In 15 minutes, I landed one punch. And after training, he was like, "Hey, man, don't don't dwell on on get on anything except for that one punch." He's like, "If that's that, that's the only thing you did good today, take that home with you. When you think of sparring tonight, think that punch that that was clean." He's like, "You landed that so flush." He's like, "The setup for it was awesome. You pulled him right into it." He was like, "That was incredible." And that's advice that I've carried with me through my entire career. It's like, don't sit and dwell on the things that went wrong and the things and how bad it is and what's going like, think about the things that are going good, you know, coming like back ACL surgery, you have to learn how to walk again. You have to learn how to do like simple tasks again. You have to um, really retrain yourself how to do these easy things and you have to find joy in, in, pleasure in those things if you don't you're just miserable and and you start to become a victim and feeling like you know the world's crumbling on you and it's not it's not a good place to be and it's not a place that you can stay if you want to continue to fight at the level that I want to fight at so I really have a short memory when it comes to to what went wrong and what happened and when when it comes to the Nostrot fight Nostrot was he's a sick fighter man he was when I fought him he was uh, ten and one with nine first round knockouts or like some crazy shit. He's a fast striker, man. He lands high, like high volume. He's he's a high level striker. It's plain and he, simple. Yeah, he's he's sick and he has a lot of power. And I felt that power. And he hit me with his best shots. And I ate him. And I kept moving forward. And I gained a lot of respect from like if you would have seen my messages going into that fight, it was a lot of people from his country like telling me like you're dead. He's gonna fucking kill you and like. I'm going to kill you. Like I was getting pretty hostile messages from people. And then as soon as the fight was over, all of those same people were like, my bad, you're a warrior. Like you're like a, a respect. And um, so like, those are things that I took from that fight. I didn't sit there and like be upset that I lost the fight. I also felt like after the fight, 
I still had energy. I feel like my game plan for that fight was to um, really pick it up at the end of the second and then the third. And I did do that. And I feel like I started to run away with the fight. But it was just too little too late. Um, my biggest regret, regret was not just like coming at him the entire time. Um, moving on from that, obviously, the Pena fight, there's a lot of good things to take from that fight as well. A lot, man. There's a lot to take away from that fight. Like, like I got to applaud you on it, man. Thank you, at first, it didn't seem like the game plan was fully going exactly. And then you just, you the way that you were changing your levels and your striking, you started to get into your zone and your rhythm, started landing your shots. And, and although their perception of what he was landing was... You know, I, I don't know. I guess they were giving it more value and damaging. Like you were landing some some beautiful combinations and, and starting to set up that wrestling too. So, thank you. And yeah, the, uh, and something that a lot of people didn't know is, like Pena is very he moves very lateral or uh, like forwards and backwards. He doesn't move left and right very well. Um, so my plan was to kind of like get off on angles and then reattack. And so it was throw away two or three punches to land two or three punches. So I think a lot of people maybe didn't know that, like, yeah, I didn't land my first two or three punches on the way in, but that was never the plan. Was like it was just to close the distance intelligently so that I could land the next three. And you gotta um, knock on that door, man. Right? You gotta knock on that door. Otherwise, you're setting yourself up for hell. So I'm with that. Um, you actually sort of alluded to the some of the questions I was gonna ask you was people can ask like what we learn from losses, what we learn from. Um, you know, mistakes and whatever else. And that sort of helps everybody as a whole. But I mean, for you coming off of the UFC losses at the highest level, there's so much to gain from, from that, especially coming into it. And now you've had the time off, you've had, you know, coaches to look at tape, you've had people to readjust game plan with you, rebuilding and fortifying the body. Um, now looking at your opponent again, he's sort of, he's really amped up right now. He seems to be amped up and he's like, I watched in interviews, he, he's sort of hell bent. I don't know how much it's going to translate when he comes into his, into the, the actual cage and, you know, game plan pressing forward, but he seems to sort of press forward pretty fast. How much do you take into your, you know, account, your opponent's sort of mental status, you know, like gauging sort of how they are mentally, if they're a little bit more guys that sort of go in a little bit crazy or a little bit more reserved. And, and do you weigh that into strategy sometimes? Yeah, man. Um, way i see it and the way that I, I with the people that i know is and you hear it a lot is like uh you know a dog that's barking real loud and and is being acting like it's tough and you know i have a pug and that dog is like the loudest yappiest fucking dog you've ever heard it's always yeah everybody that comes by it'll yap and like it's big and tough um i also have a, a swiss mountain dog that's 130 pounds of like muscle and he's just like a monster and he doesn't bark you walk up and he, you walk up to him and he, he'll he'll drop his head and he'll walk and he doesn't need to bark you know what i mean um and i think you see that with people a lot too when you see people kind of act it puffing their chest and acting like you know they want all the smoke a lot of times those are the guys that don't want the smoke but i'm gonna i'm gonna make him put his money where his mouth is and you know at the end of the day come july 15th he, all the talking in the world it ain't going to matter. It, he's got to step in the cage and back it up. So I'm looking forward to making him do that. 
We look forward to seeing you, man, for sure. And um, for you, I know that, you know, trials, tribulations, but now you're you're feeling like you're at that best moment. You're at a prime age, too, as a man, physically, strength-wise. This is sort of that peak time. So, I mean, this injury, although it's an injury, could be a godsend for the training that you've done, the time away from the cage. I mean, look what it did for, you know, your teammate as well, Michael Lott. So, uh, definitely could be a, a huge thing as far as you stepping in the cage and, and just coming in with one of those one of those victories that make people go, holy shit, where did this come from type of thing. But those closest to you will know it's been there all the whole time, right? So um, for you, I've asked this question to almost every fighter I've talked to, and it, it's intriguing to me as it, it evolves um, for fighters. But I always ask, what is your greatest fear in the cage? And it may, now it might not be the same as what it was before as you were coming up. And what I mean by that is fear could be cardio could have been an issue for some fighters, right? So some fighters will say cardio is an issue. They're worried about those late rounds and they have to do everything in their power and training to, to get better cardio to work ahead of that. Some fighters, it's the wrestling is weak and they're worried about the takedowns. And, the, you know, so they're worried about late in the fight when, um, you know, the wrestler's going to take over what they're going to do, whatever it might be, some underperforming. There's so many different variables, so many different, different um, you know, things that might, you know, intrigue you as far as the fear aspect of this. What is it for you as far as the fear um, and stepping into the cage? Um, for me, it's I think it's making sure I go out and have fun. It's like remembering that this is fun and I love fighting. And that's why I chose to do this is because I want to fight. And at the end of the day, like, you know, you're, you're going to get punched. You're going to get kicked. Like, you can't go swimming and expect to not get wet. So I... I just want to make sure that I go out there and remember why I do this and remember that this is fun for me. I'm not, I'm not scared about my cardio. I'm not scared about not being strong enough or not, not being technically good enough in the striking or the wrestling or any aspect of it. Um, I'm certain of those things because I've tested myself already leading up to it. And I, I've, like I said, I've weaponized my cardio and I've weaponized my striking and my wrestling and everything feels like, it's where it needs to be. Um, now it's just making sure that I don't put too much pressure on my performance and make sure that I just go out and enjoy myself and remember that it's it's a, we have a small window to, to chase this dream and make sure I make the most of it and don't make, don't make it a miserable thing. Don't make it to where I'm fearing things. Make it to where I'm going out and I'm excited to have fun. I'm excited to step into the cage and remembering what my coaches are telling me and that's believe in my striking believe in my wrestling believe that i'm the man that they think that i am and that i know that i am and as long as i believe that then i'm going to go out there and i'm going to perform so it seems like it's it's being present being in the moment having that focus on just that moment there and whether it's being elated or whatever it is but at least you're in there and, and not thinking about anything else you're a little bit hard on yourself i can tell um for, for yourself, everybody's coachable different ways. And that probably served you and got you to your highest level that you're at. You're probably a little hard on yourself. It's probably made you go back and re reevaluate and rechange things and whatever else and retool. Um, so, man, it's, it's awesome to see sort of different ways people think. I mean, like, for for instance, for Josh Hill, for even Mike Malott, what they've said is the, the thing for them that one of the greater fears was it's like underperforming. So going in there and underperforming. So it's the, you know, and I think that's a common thing amongst fighters, but there is different wrinkles that, that different fighters, you know, perceive as fear and being in the moment, I, I guess, you know, maybe being in a cage at times when you're not in the moment, uh, overthinking sometimes in the cage is probably not a, something that no one who's ever stepped, not stepped in the cage will never understand how your thought process works when you're in there. 
and, and we'll lean into that actually talk about your coaches um you know that listening to your coaches every relationship is different some people sort of zone out and only hear key words from their coaches some people really rely on their coaches to lay out the strategy in the background so you can operate you know for them for you what is it like with that communication and that relationship with your coaches yeah i, I feel like i do a really good job of listening to my coaches i think something that that's something i got from wrestling we're wearing headgear and you're you're dog tired and you're grinding and and like your legs are giving out and your arms are giving out and then on top of that, you got earmuffs on and then you need to be able to listen to your coaches and wrestle. And um, that's something that just over the years, I've gotten good at, like hearing what they're saying while staying very focused on what I'm doing. And it's also building that rapport and like having them speak to you in practice and having them be there with you and and hearing those key words over and over and over again so that when you hear them, it's almost like. Uh, they're playing a video game and they can just like call out that special move, call out whatever they want. And then they can rely on you to, to make those adjustments and make those moves. And I think I have a really special thing with my coaches where we can do that. And we're, we work really, really well together. Yeah. There's nothing more. I mean, I'm obviously a hardcore fan having the podcast and everything, but there's nothing more amazing or, or something, I guess I'll just say more cool uh, for lack of a better term than seeing tape of, of strategy and and technique in an actual practice and then it playing out in the cage exactly the way it is and or a coach yelling out exactly a technique and then the fighter landing it about 10 seconds later and it playing out that way as well too it's it's possibly one of the cooler things uh to see because you know that the hard work and the hours and the blood and the sweat and the sacrifice all has come together perfectly that's like the, the perfect scenario right um, now for you, I know that, uh, you're possibly going to be coming up to Canada sometime soon. We really look forward to, uh, getting you up here as well too. Um, now talk about, you know, what you've seen, you know, if you actually, I, I didn't even check Did you, have you had Mike in your corner or at least part of any training camps for yourself? Mike's been with me in a couple fights. Honestly, I would love to have him in, in with me on this one. Um, but I've also just been putting so much work in with the guys that I have here. And Mike's, I mean, dude, he's doing so good. He's He's got his own thing going on right now in Canada. And we just haven't been able to work too closely together in this camp. So I'm uh, just, it, it breaks my heart to like not have him here with us. But at the same Sometime time. Sometime soon, I guess. Yeah. But speak about him. Like what I was going to ask was just in, like, this is about you. The focus is on you. But just as a quick little clip for, for you, you know, Mike, just seeing him sort of come back and having the success that he's had and, and sort of take Canada on his shoulders, man. He's sort of, although we have some amazing guys and, and, and gals coming up right now in Canada, uh, he's sort of, the UFC has done this, sort of put this this cape on his shoulders and made him Captain Canada. And uh, obviously his performance have it as well, too. Speak just right. as a teammate how elated you are for him. Dude, I love it. He's he earned it. He earned it. He, t he took some time off and uh, and... I actually spoke with him like when he told me that he was done fighting. I, I immediately said, "No, you're not. You're you're not done. There's there's no way you're done. You're too good. You've invested too much." Um, and sure, he just kind of like grinned and was like, you know, didn't really say too much. And then he just put his head down and he grinded for like two years and he coached and he learned and he got like progressively better and better and better and better and better. And <laughs> it was already incredible. Um, and now all that hard work and it's 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 paying off for him and it's really awesome to see and he's somebody that i look up to and i enjoy um watching his success and it gives me something to you know 
and the rest of the guys at Alpha Male something to to aspire to and, and to follow that trajectory. And then even to talk about that room, I know that Mike's sort of separated somewhat from Team Alpha Male, but still is, you know, officially, unofficially a team member. Yeah, I think he's always a team member of Team Alpha Male no matter what. But um, for your team, for that room, and even for seeing someone like Mike who steps away, it's a specific example to something that you did. You stepped away for a couple of years, now you're going to come back. And I know it's from an injury, but it's time away, it's coming back. All of these experiences, and then you see such a big team like Team Alpha Male and all the stories and all the trials and all the tribulations. How well does that serve you as a fighter, um, as a friend, as a teammate, um, and having someone like Uriah Faber to lead the charge as well, too? Yeah, it's cool. It's, you know, people talk about ring rust and, and things like that. And, and Mike is kind of one of those guys that's like, no, nah, that's, you don't got to worry about that. Like, you can take time off and you can come back and be very sharp. And, you know, it's it's the things that you dwell on and are what you're going to manifest into reality. So if you're not thinking like that and if you're thinking like you're going to come back the baddest man alive, then you will. Um, I was fortunate, too. My fiance is actually my, my PT. So when I tore my ACL, she was the one. Um, I met her through physical therapy. And now and dude, she's like huge into um, health and nutrition. And she's awesome. like a world-class chef. So... I'm getting, you know, extra PT from her at home on the side. Um, on top of that, she's into like all natural, organic, in season, like cooking like five ingredient foods. It, it's uh, like the the so best. You have somebody that has a, a knowledge base with an investment in you that is of the highest level, so that you can't ask for a better thing. Exactly, exactly. So having having her on my team as well um, is, I mean, it's. You're, you can't replace something like that. No. Uh, and, and that's been huge. So I'm very grateful for her and, and the help that she, the part that she's taken and helping me get back into the cage. It's It's been pivotal. And that in itself is like, you're talking about being present in the moment, even getting back to the cage, you know, like coming back from a surgery and ACL surgery is something that not too many people dig into and, and, and make it back to. And you, you come back and now you're feeling stronger than ever. Um, so I applaud you in that itself. Then you get in the cage. You love the matchup. And, and you know, I want, I know that you seem, you seem, I know Mike's a little bit more Canadian, mild-mannered and, and whatever else, but for you, tell me how you finished this, man. And don't, you don't have to be so respectful about it. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, dude, I just want to chop him up. I want to get in there and I want to grind him out. Um, I want to take him into deep waters and I want to just drown this fool. I want to like, be heavy with my punches and I want to crash in. I want to chop him up with elbows and knees and drag him to the ground and hold, like run his face into the mat and just heavy ground and pound and just take the life out of him. That's, that's the plan is just to put him underwater, like keep him there. But there's no better finish than taking the soul of somebody in the cage versus you, you, anybody could get caught or anybody could set up a beautiful technique and knock somebody out. Not anybody, but you know what I mean? Right, the idea right. of you going through two and a half maybe rounds of grinding somebody down, running a game plan, and maybe testing out that leg and just getting those mental blocks out of the way and all those things checked for yourself, probably right. the best case scenario, I would say. Absolutely. Obviously, you already saw my picks that are in. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what the takedown props will be, but we'll leave that one to myself. And now talking to you, uh, although we do a breakdown podcast, 
I'm liking the late finish, but we'll leave it there. My name is Alex Munoz. I fight at Team Alpha Male, and I'm fighting at the UFC. Make sure to tune in and watch Don't Tap Podcast. I'm Gentleman Josh Hill. I'm Aaron Jeffrey. I'm Justin Jess I'm Mike Malak. I'm Rafael Stop. Tune in to Don't Tap. Don't Tap. Don't Tap. Don't Tap Podcast. Don't Tap Podcast. John Jones. Follow me on Twitter. Hey, I'm UFC President Dana White, and you're in the ring with Callum McGregor. Got a really high fight IQ. For this fight, I'm telling you, it's a flip of a coin. I levels to the shit. So many high-level guys. So like the line is crazy. Oh, oh, there we go. Oh, no, we're good. See, he's a pro.